0: Well hey there guys, welcome or welcome back to the Uncomfortable Is OK podcast, I'm your host Chris Desmond, this is a show where we explore the science, the stories and the strategies of getting out of our comfort zones so we can find where the magic happens for us. Today I have a super guest for you, his name is Daryl Edwards or you might know him as the Fitness Explorer. Um. Daryl is a international speaker, coach, nutritionist, author um, of a few books. His most recent book is called Animal Moves. Uh, I really encourage you guys to get a copy of that. I'll post a link to it on all the, uh, on all the social media platforms um, and a link in the show notes as well. Um, About how to train and move like an animal to to get stronger, fitter, faster and just really become a better all-round human being. So Daryl's also been published in Men's Health, Women's Health, Elle, Men's Fitness, uh, featured on the BBC, uh, on ABC um, and also in the international documentary We Love Paleo. But a little bit of background about Daryl. after uh, two decades working as a technologist in investment banking, he transformed his health after adopting an ancestral model to well-being, and he now advises people on maintaining a healthy lifestyle uh, amidst the epidemic of obesity and other chronic lifestyle diseases. He's also the founder of Primal Play Method, and I initially met Daryl at a conference last year. Um, And had a great time having a play with him and about 20 or 30 other people, um, making activity fun, effective, strengthening, engaging, um, just having a whale of a time, but also a great workout. So a few of the topics that we chat through with Daryl today are talking around physical literacy, why we should strip things back to, to simplify them. How it's always uncomfortable to start something, but how we need to figure out how to make it attractive so other people want to get on board with it. We're talking about uh, maintaining motivation when you're only making fractional gains. We talk about why it's important to respect the individual in every situation, how we can improve our function from day to day, why play is a serious proposition. And also, all things getting uncomfortable with his journey. So, guys, yeah, have a listen to this one. It's it's awesome. But also, I've put together a little uh, a little document with some of the best strategies that I have found from going through over and over a hundred interviews with people. Um, about how you can get out of your comfort zone. So make sure to head over to getoutofmycomfortzone.com. You can download those for free. That's getoutofmycomfortzone.com for the best strategies that I've found from all of my guests. Thank you guys so much for getting uncomfortable with Daryl and I today. I hope you enjoy our chat. Welcome to the Uncomfortable is Okay podcast. How are t- Oh, how are you today mate? That's a good uncomfortable starter isn't it F- tripping over
1: my words. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'm I'm very good and I I appreciate the fact as we're on other sides of you know opposite parts of the earth. Um it's going to be it's very late for you and it's relatively early for me so so thank you for making time. Um oh. and uh, I'm happy to be able to to get up early enough to be uh, a guest on your on your podcast. Uh, it's a
0: it's an absolute pleasure, mate. I mean, we we first bumped into each other uh, down in Queenstown last year, and I and watched you I watched you speak, and I had a little bit of a play with you as well, and uh, I was enthralled to start with. Um, but I think actually, what probably is a good starting point today is if you give the the guests who don't know you a little bit of background about who Daryl Edwards is. Um, where you're from, where you grew up, maybe were there any kind of big formative experiences in your in your life that have shaped you as a as a person?
1: Yeah, so I was born born in the UK, uh, uh, and um, I live in London, England. I'm Darrell Edwards. I'm known as the Fitness Explorer, but it, it's there's been so much that has happened to me um, that has kind of led me to where I am today. So I'll probably start off actually by saying almost kind of posing a question to yourself and the, and the audience listening. I'm gonna I'm gonna list five facts and one of them isn't isn't true. And I like to kind of consider which what that is. So the first I had a number one video on MTV. The second I wrote um, some computer software that was installed at Buckingham Palace and the houses of Westminster. So the royal the royal household were, were utilizing my computer software. Third, I danced on stage with Janet Jackson. Four, I spent 20 years um, on suffering with chronic low back pain and was constantly on kind of pain relief medication, including uh, medication such as uh, Valium or Diazepam uh, as a muscle relaxant because I was just in, in excruciating, excruciating pain for considerable periods of time. And the last, uh, the last fact is that I have traveled to over 135 countries around the world, all seven continents. So out of those five, what would you consider to be the lie? Oh, this
0: is a very good question. Have you asked other people this?
1: I, I have actually. I, I actually recently did this at a as a presentation.
0: Oh, did you? Um,
1: yeah, yeah. So um,
0: I should have done my research a little bit better, shouldn't I? <laughs> <laughs> no,
1: Daryl. Um, okay, okay. So MTV, uh, MTV video number one. Dancing with Janet Jackson, um, you know, yeah. traveled but, all over the world, uh, suffering with, with chronic low back pain for twenty years, and, and taking all sorts of meds, and uh, writing some computer software for Buckingham Palace and Houses of Parliament.
0: Hmm. Well, I know that you're reasonably well traveled. Um, Hundred. That's a lot of countries, though. Um, I'm going to go with. Uh, I'm going to go with. Dancing on stage with Janet Jackson.
1: Okay, all right. So I'm sure for all your listeners, you, you've obviously picked one of those. Uh, the reality is they're all true. Are they? Ooh, yes. Yeah, nice. so, <laughs> they are all true, uh, and and what's interesting is people tend do tend to pick something like you know, um, you know Janet Jackson. So you know, dancing stage Janet Jackson, or or your number one MTV uh, video, because they're very interesting. Well, they were very interesting experiences, Mm. but the one that actually had, has had the most impact on my life is me suffering with chronic low back pain for 20 years. So people tend to see me now and what I do now and wouldn't assume I had a background, which, which meant I was, you know, uh, in in considerable physical discomfort for the majority of my adult life. Uh, And, um, but the great thing about that experience is I really appreciate um, what it is now to be able to to move uh, and, and to, to move about no longer in, in pain. And I appreciate the journey that I had to go through in order to be able to discuss this with you today. So Primal Play, which is what I focus on now, um, is really about my experiences Really finding movement difficult, really experiencing a lack of physical literacy, um, having moments in my life where I felt I wanted to fulfil that movement potential, but it just didn't really happen um, until until relatively recently. So I ha- I've had I have had amazing experiences. I've travelled around the world. Um, <clears throat> um, I have been on stage with Janet Jackson. I have I do have a number one movie uh, uh, video on MTV. And I did write some computer software for uh, the royal household because that was my previous uh, profession previous career um so yeah, I wanted to share that with you as I actually talk about some of my my backstory now so in terms of my childhood i was I was a bit of a geek actually, so from about three years old, I told my parents i wanted to be i wanted to be a doctor uh, and i uh, I was reading at a very young age um Probably about three and a half three and a half to four. Uh, I had a reading age of around seven or eight. And I remember asking my parents for books, anything to do with the human body, anything to do with biology. That was my that was my interest, my keen interest. And back then in simpler in simpler times, uh, you know, there was a huge focus on, you know, play was was about going outside, um, with your friends. You'd spend all day outdoors you come back in for, for something to eat pretty, pretty, pretty much, you know, amuse yourself, kids come back in when, when, you know, it's time to eat, eat some food. As I got, as I got older, sort of about nine, about eight or nine years old. So I, I, I had one of the first home computers. So back in the seventies, there was this huge explosion of of computer technology coming into the home. Initially, as a, as gaming machines, um, replicating arcade machines. But, uh, I, you know, I found out that I could actually program these devices. So yes, I could play games like Pac-Man and space invaders and the, and the like, but there was a, there was a programming language. There was a way to interact with the device, that, um, in a way that I, that I wasn't aware of previously, especially at such a young a young age. So I would spend some of my days not playing outside, in front of my television screen, typing numbers into my computer, um, and no one around me was that impressed by that. But <laughs> but but uh, because they, we all wanted to play games, it was like, why don't we play a game instead? So so, but I was really impressed about this interaction with technology and being able to. Manipulate this device to do whatever i could could do at that time, um, and that was when my fascination fascination with computers began um, and and that's when I decided that and I wasn't even aware that it, it could be a career, but that's probably where I started thinking about you know computers being more having more impact on my life um, than it than I would ever imagine so going into my teenage years, where I started studying computer science, where I was still relatively active in terms of coming home from school, doing homework, and then getting, getting outside. I wasn't much of a, uh, I wasn't that sporty, particularly. I was kind of a jack of all, all trades, um, b- pretty much below average at any physical endeavor. But because I was pretty gifted intellectually, I was like, well, that's what my where my focus is anyway. So I, I don't really need to be too concerned about the fact I'm not very good at sport or or, or anything else uh, physically, for that matter. As soon as I finish school, then that's pretty much where any kind of option of movement just stopped right there. So 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 going to college, studying, kind of thinking about what my career would be, um, realizing that medicine. Even though it was a childhood dream, wasn't really what I was passionate about. It was definitely computer technology. Um, I studied computer science at university. That that's where I decided. I, that's what I decided I wanted to do. That's what I was most, most passionate about. But the amount of sedentary time um, increased significantly. So I was spending a lot of time in front of my computer studying, plus actually, you know, working on projects. That required me to be in front of a computer screen. Then I went into a career uh, developing computer software. I worked at Microsoft back in the 90s when they were the, the, the big tech organization of the day. Then I went into investment banking where the more hours you worked, you know, you know, that that's what how you were rewarded. So so how many hours, how hard you're working, how much you can sacrifice uh, for, for this organization means you'll be be a very lucrative proposition. And that was my, that was pretty much my career path, uh, um, as well as my decrease in, in physical activity, time. So I could see that um, that was one of the reasons why I encountered health issues. So as I went into my 30s, I uh, was fortunate to have annual health checks um, that was, that were paid for quite a lot of money spent, probably three or four hours of getting different tests, blood drawn, you know, uh, all sorts of hormone markers being, being tracked, stress tests, you know, ECD tests, the, the works. And on one occasion I was, I had a very concerning doctor telling me, Mr. Edwards, um, I haven't got some, I haven't got good news for you. Okay. What is it? What is it? Well, you're pre-diabetic. Um, you have really poor lipid markers. What does that mean? Well, it basically means you've got high triglycerides. If your cholesterol profile is really poor, you have elevated risk of cardiovascular disease. What does that mean? Oh, well, increased risk of heart disease, increased risk of stroke. At my age, yes. Okay, what else? You're anemic. Um, you've obviously been suffering with chronic low back pain. You've got musculoskeletal problems. You know, your posture's off. Um Okay, what else? So, so you know, you're hypertensive. You've got very high blood pressure. Okay, well, I work in investment banking. That's probably why, right? Uh, yes, but it's not good for you. So, so my doctor base just reeled off this list of of issues that were tied in to what I was told was it's just genetic. You know, you've got members of your family with diabetes. You've got, um, you know, your your diet's probably not right because that's why you're anemic. Um, you've got issues with your musculoskeletal issues, problems. That's probably due to a lack of, of physical activity over the, over the years. So, so there were a few pointers that my doctor gave, um, that tied into, okay, there's something about my lifestyle. There's something about my, my heritage, my, my genetics that I can't really do anything about. Um, so what's the solution doc, the solution, take some meds what meds okay we can lower your blood pressure we can give you some statins for your cholesterol we can give you pain relief ongoing pain relief for your you know your back pain and your knee issues Uh, we can give you iron supplementation for your for your anemia and uh and i was okay that sounds great how long for okay rest of your life um what about the side effects if there are any side effects we can give you an alternative treatment we can manage those side effects and i was like hell no I was like there's got to be another another way fortunately I read a book or I had a book on my on my bookshelf Um, I call it my shelf help uh, (laughs) because I had lots of books that I that self help books and but I never tend to read them so it was a book that was on my shelf that I hadn't looked at for a couple of years but it was about the paleo diet and I remember flicking through this and one of the things that resonated with me was this concept of going back to basics? Was this concept of there is a species appropriate diet and there's a diet that's appropriate for humans that can lead to better health? But within those pages, I remember remarking on the fact that as well as a, a diet and a nutri- nutrition that would be helpful for humans, there have to be other lifestyle behaviors as well. So, you know, I'm, why am I constantly in pain? Why do I have this chronic low back pain? Uh, issues. That's no, that's that's nothing to do with food, you know. I, that that was my that was my thought process. So physical activity has to be really important too. Our our ancestors were were constantly moving, so that was a light bulb moment for me. It was like okay, i go back to basics. You know, start improving your diet, start improving, um, you know your your approach to physical activity. Stop being so sedentary. And after that uh, intervention of of physical activity, my health markers improved. And and it improved even though I hadn't really resolved what my dietary um, decisions were going to be. So initially it was about, okay, I'm now physically active, getting re retested, some of my markers are improving. This is remarkable. And I can optimize this by also looking at my diet and, and, and other things too. And so within a few months, my doctor was telling me, Oh, Daryl, wow, your you know, your triglycerides and your lipid profile has improved significantly your blood pressure is now optimal you're no longer anemic what have you been doing who have you been seeing what what are you taking um i've just improved my diet i've just started exercising and being physically active oh okay what else are you doing that's pretty much it well i'm a really i'm concerned daryl about your change in diet (laughs) i'm concerned about whatever you're doing it is you're doing in the gym that needs to be all carefully monitored and i was like fine if i still see progress and improvement I'm going to stay in this path. If something is detrimental to me, to me in terms of my health markers, I'll be happy to, to listen to whatever you have to say. That was well over 15 years ago. And fortunately, I've been able to maintain a really healthful state since then. Um, so that's a, a kind of a a real summary, <laughs> an overview, as to what's led me to where I am today and how the importance of a really a helpful approach to lifestyle can make a significant difference to to your health.
0: Mm, I think you've uh, you've just summarised that perfectly, actually, mate. That was uh, that was very good to listen to. Um, there are a couple of things that I wanted to wanted to pick out of, of that, uh, Daryl. I mean, you you mentioned the term physical literacy earlier on in that uh, in that. Um, and obviously, you were you weren't living a, a super healthy lifestyle earlier on. Um, was that kind of just related to the environment that you were in and uh, your knowledge around around health at, at the time, or were there other factors that played a part there?
1: Uh, um, well, obviously, in hindsight. I, I, my answer, you know, is a lot different to what it would have been then. Mm. So th- then it would have been very much okay. This is just my genetics, you know. I've just been, I've just been. The dice haven't been rolled in my favour. Um, you know, I, I don't have the the physical capability of my father. Why not? My, my parents seem to be relatively healthy, and were so at that at, at that age. Um, why am I suffering with these issues? So, so there were a few question marks around that, but now I would say it was just, I was just a product of, of the modern environment. You know, I was sedentary for 16 to 18 hours a day. I would, if I did decide to, you know, have a a new year's resolution to keep, you know, to get fit, that would last for a week or so. Um, I'd pay a year annual gym membership, but would only go, you know, literally a handful of times a year. So it wasn't something that I could maintain. And in terms of in trying to improve my diet, I did at times try a conventional, what was touted as a a conventionally healthy healthy diet. So one of the things I did was I stopped eating red meat, which I believe led to my anemia. Um, Because as soon as I started eating red meat, um, I was no longer anemic, for example. Um, I was regularly eating... Like you know, I was regularly focusing on convenience, so I was regularly regularly focusing on what was comfortable. So comfortable for me would be going to my local petrol station and and buying microwave meals and having that as my as my meal. You know, breakfast on occasion would be a couple of cans of an energy drink like Red Bull and a Snickers bar. You know, um, because I was like, okay, I only need to keep awake and don't Snickers have you know, they have peanuts that that's a good source of protein, right you know so so i, I I'd make decisions based on the limited knowledge that I had at the time um, and they they were they were detrimental to my health um, but but these things weren't you know these these things didn't happen overnight. Mm. This was year after year of these type of behaviors of not having a, a healthful breakfast to start my day of eating processed foods. Not being very active and then having these almost like a what I call a, a chicken flight, like a chicken flight approach to improving my health and well being. I, you, you have a really great run up as a chicken, you, you, you take off, it's looking promising, but then you crash in a heap, you know, what I mean, not very far from takeoff. So, so I found that was my, that was my approach regularly of what I could do to improve my health. I was enthusiastic. It didn't last very long. And, and it became less and less motivating to want to continue in, in, in that way. So, so now I have the benefit of hindsight. Now I do have far more knowledge around how I could maintain really good health status. What I wish I knew then was how simple it actually was to do. So, actually, stripping things back and saying, "I don't need a PhD in nutrition. You know, I don't need to become an exercise scientist. I don't need to be a chef in the kitchen in order to improve my health. You know, I just need to consider what lifestyle behaviours that, that I'm undertaking now in no way could be beneficial for my health and well-being, and what would what be a far better." Uh, far better for me in terms of looking at improvement and just making that decision means you're heading in the right direction and it may not be perfect it may not be optimal but it's far better than just waiting for the silver bullet like okay there's got to be one thing i can do that's going to change make all the difference actually that difference is really deciding that i have to change that i want to uh, focus on health and longevity and i don't i no longer want to be ravaged by by pain and and, you know, chronic stress and, and, and sleepless nights, uh, being an insomniac, you know, all those things I wanted to get rid of, but I didn't want to rely on, on conventional medicine and, and pills to do so. Mm. Thank you for sharing that, mate. Um, I mean, the the
0: metaphor of the chicken is, uh, is amazing, actually. I, I hadn't heard that one before, but I just… Uh, completely can picture that in my mind just the furious energy of of trying to get up and trying to get going and actually not getting very far at, at all but actually expending a whole lot of energy in the in the process and I think I mean there are a lot of there are a lot of people not just kind of that, that take on a, a challenge or a resolution and not just in kind of with their health, um, with, with other aspects of their life as well, that do really approach things like that. And then they, they flap really hard to start. They, things start to, things start to go. And then all of a sudden they realize that they're not quite meant to fly this way. And they come crashing back down. And I think like, you can only sustain that sort of approach for so long before the the motivation and the drive and the the frustration of not really getting anywhere wears on you, and it really mm. kind of it does become comfortable to, to slip uh, slip back in and make those convenient choices that everyone else is making as well um, that are that are comfortable for you, and it is. It's quite hard to, um, I think, to, to go slowly and take a more a more measured approach because we want results as soon as possible. Yeah, we, yeah, we feel yeah. that we we feel for some reason we feel that we're entitled to results uh, as soon as possible. Um, but making kind of those those small habitual, small incremental changes is. Much more long-standing in terms of kind of the, the progress that we can we can make as people. I think that what's that saying? You people overestimate what they can uh, achieve in a day, and underestimate significantly what they can achieve in in ten years. Mm, mm.
1: Yeah, very. I mean, that's very true, and and I, I suppose it doesn't help that we have we're bombarded with with media. Kind of social media messages around what you can achieve in, you know, get your six pack in twenty eight days, you know, uh, very short term transformations. You know, go on a crash diet, do this, trans, change your life in 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 minutes. So so we are attracted by those short term gains. We we do get a dopamine response from what we deem to be the kind of rewards with minimal effort, and, and, and avoiding, you know, we have an aversion to pain and discomfort. So if we do have a, a convenient option available to us, why wouldn't you, you know, why wouldn't you undertake that? So, you know, I don't want to be, I don't want to be a monk. You know, I, I do want uh, to experience life's pleasures. And, and, and so sometimes you are going to take the easier option. It's like, "Mm, I can, I can prepare a meal. You know, I can sort, source food, prepare it, take time to do so, enjoy a wonderful meal. Or I could click a button and get something delivered to me. So I can, within seconds, I can satisfy my need to experience food and what I believe to be something that's going to be beneficial to me and helpful to me. I can click a button, but The likelihood is it's going to be far more difficult to achieve, uh, you know, a nutritious and nourishing meal by clicking a button as it is for me to actually go through the process of, okay, what I'm actually going to be preparing, what's going to be in this. I know exactly what it is. I'm going to be preparing it. You know, I'm going to be grateful and gracious about the fact that I've spent time doing it. (laughs) And I'm probably going to enjoy the meal far more by the fact that I've actually labored. Uh, to do it. And I haven't even, you know, and that's probably just relying on me going to a shop to get the, the, (laughs) to get the produce. It's not even like I'm hunting or gathering that food, you know what I mean? So, so yeah, I I think there's a, there's a, it's a really important discussion uh, and, and that's why I love the theme of your, your, your podcast, this whole concept of, of embracing discomfort at times and recognizing that there's significant growth. By embracing discomfort, and that some of our some of the stresses that we that we encounter in the short term are only for our benefit. So the physical stress of, of physical activity, you know, done for the appropriate duration is beneficial. If you do too much, at a too high intensity, what's helpful can actually become detrimental to your health. And I suppose it's the same for any other any other stressor, any other kind of, um, anything else that impacts on your, on your life. You're looking at the, the appropriate dose that will have the beneficial effect. So, you know, a wonderful conversation you can have with someone or, you know, or heated debate, which can become fruitful. But if that goes on for too long, and if all you're doing is spending time just disagreeing rather than, rather than agreeing to differ, that can become, you know, (laughs) That can become something that's that's uh, that becomes volatile and may lead to a fight. You know, may lead to you know the, a relationship breaking up. Whereas at the beginning, you know, and if it stayed in the in in the right place, that's again very fruitful and very helpful. Uh, you know, interaction with someone. So so that tends to be my approach now in dealing with most stresses that I that I encounter. That they're very good acutely. That there's going to be significant growth and adaptation. That comes from that, um, and it then informs my decisions that I make around. Okay, I do have X and Y choices in terms of nutrition. You know, you know, what is going to be better for me? What am I more likely to want to do on a more regular basis? What am I more likely to? What's more likely to be sustainable for me? And it's the same with physical activity, and it's the same with you know my looking at my sleep hygiene. You know, it's the same as me traveling. I've got to decide. Okay, jet lag isn't, isn't, obviously isn't the best place to be, <laughs> but I also do want to explore the world, so there has to be a trade-off. And what I'll do is try to mitigate the risks as best as I can, um, just so I can enjoy the, the travel experience. So, yeah, I'm, 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 really, I'm really thankful that we've had this opportunity to discuss, to discuss this in, in, in detail.
0: Yeah, no, I, I I like that. And there's there's a concept um, called optimal anxiety, where actually uh, when you're when you are placed under stress, there your performance improves and and increases with uh, the stress or the anxiety that's that's placed upon you. And then actually once you there's a tipping point, it's like a, a parabolic curve that actually you hit this tipping point and then there's too much stress or too much anxiety or too much load on you where your performance starts to decrease and you and you start to crash as well and I quite like to to think of that with anything that I'm doing is that uh, actually if I'm challenging myself if I'm pushing myself my performance is going to increase and it's going to increase um, over time until I hit that Mm -hmm. point where it, it starts to plummet again so it's it's always kind of, I think, as you say, tweaking with that balance of what you're doing and how hard you're pushing. Um, so that if you do push too hard with something at, at one point that actually you're not going to overshoot the mark too far and Mm -hmm. just come tumbling down the other side of that curve is that you're, if you go over, you can go over by a bit and then pull it back.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a very good point. And, And I mean, another way, uh, that's termed as the kind of the, the hormesis uh, response, hormetic response, where, you know, an organism adapts to low doses of particular uh, stressors, whatever they may, whatever they may be, um, and they all have a beneficial effect. But as you say, once you start, once there's an, uh, an excessive overload, uh, once that beneficial dose becomes almost toxic, at higher higher doses, uh, that's when it's detrimental. And we, we need to be we need to be aware of that. So so some people go the other way where they just want to avoid, okay, I'm just gonna avoid all stress. I'm gonna, you know, I don't want to exercise because it's gonna be uncomfortable because I might get muscle soreness. You know, I, I you know, whatever it may be. And and then all that happens is you if you don't if you avoid exercise, fine, you, you may not get muscle soreness, but you will atrophy. And so anything you do will create muscle soreness in the future. You know, any pain, any movement will become painful because you actually haven't, your body's just not used to, move, to moving. Um, same with, you know, focusing concentration. If you decide, you know what, I just can't focus, I can't concentrate, I'm just not going to undertake that, that activity, then all that's going to happen is you can become even less able to focus and to be, and to be you know, in, a, in a mode of concentration. And when you do need to rely on that, and that ability, it, it isn't there so you know that that hormetic response that ability for your body to safely adapt to the to that stimulus is really really important and that's probably one of the, the, the the best lessons that i've learned in the last you know probably 15 years or so is being is being aware of that you know being aware of okay if you're training then you have to you know, consider what your recovery, what your resting is going to be. If if high intensity protocol is really beneficial for you because you can do more in less time, it doesn't mean you can do more and more of that. <laughs> just because it's it's great for five minutes of intense activity doesn't mean it's gonna be great doing it for 50 minutes. So so I learned the hard way once I first started changing my lifestyle and was like, oh my gosh, I'm just there's just so many improvements coming. Coming back by me doing this. If I push harder, I'll get even more. Actually, no, that wasn't the case. I pushed harder, and it meant I was getting more, in, you know, more injuries. It meant I was becoming more neurotic about my food choices. You know, it meant I couldn't socialize with, with my friends because I was like, I'd be judging what they were eating, rather than enjoying their company. So, so after that initial, almost evangelical, kind of like <laughs> enthusiasm. Uh, it, it became much more moderate. And hold on a second, what is this really about? Surely it's about me improving my quality of life, which also incorporates social factors, mental health, not just the fact that I have really great, you know, blood markers. And biomarkers do you know what i mean it's like there's far more to life than hey look, hey let me just show you my latest cholesterol reading isn't it incredible <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah. if it's at the expense of enjoying having any enjoyment in life then it's it's, it's probably far too great a cost mm-hmm. so yeah yeah
0: yeah i mean you can get excited about blood markers and cholesterol things but um i'm not sure if it's quite as exciting as uh, going for a burger with your mates every now and then
1: yeah, exactly. I mean, exactly. So, you know, I think you can, as I said, I don't want to be a monk. I probably, I probably be, wanted to be a, a kind of a health monk when I first started because I was in such a bad place. But once you've achieved some sort of health parity where you feel you're in a much better place, you, you, you have some gratitude for, for where you could have been, you recognize that even if you are, adopting a particular pathway, it doesn't mean nothing's going to happen. It doesn't mean you're never going to encounter illness. It just means you're, in, you're in, increasing, you know, um, you know, you're decreasing the risk of inc- encountering chronic lifestyle disease. But it doesn't mean it's an impossibility. So once you grasp that, once you realize there are things that you do have no control over, even though there are there a are lot of things that you do, you're more likely to have a healthier outlook on, on life. So I can now go to my friends for dinner and not have to question, you know, look in their larder and say, you know, what, you know, you know, what are you preparing? For, you know, do you know what I mean? Like being really yeah. judgmental? Why have you got bread on your plate? You know, I don't eat gluten. Well, okay. I don't eat it. doesn't mean you can't. You know, Do you know what I mean? So, so, so yeah. So I, I've definitely learned a lot about being less judgmental, um, letting my, hopefully my lifestyle, Uh, lead by example um, and just be open to be questioned about what I do and why I do it rather than trying to coerce people to follow a particular path and mate
0: I I do want to talk to you about play but do you think that you would have got to this point, like would there have been another way for you to get to this point in that kind of non, non-judgmental state without actually having gone through those steps and gone through that judgmental phase first?
1: Um, that's a really, that's a really, it's a really great question actually. Uh, I, I suppose, I find that I tend to work best with a big bang approach, actually. So any, anything that I've achieved in life, whether it's you know with my career or with my health, improving my health has been, I make a decision, I'm going to go all in. I'm going to dive in, dive in. And, and so because of that, it also meant that when I was communicating my story and my lifestyle changes and, and what I wanted others to achieve, I'd have exactly the same type of zeal. You know, I'd be so passionate about, oh, my goodness, you know, you're, you're killing yourself by eating that. I want to do everything I can to help you. Uh, and so it just felt as if it did come across – I would come across as judgmental. I would come across there would be a lack of empathy and understanding. And I wouldn't appreciate how difficult it had been for m- myself previously. I'd only be focusing on how easy it was for me now. So, so um, I suppose I had to go through that to understand – what it, actually what is it like for people who do contemplate making lifestyle uh, choices for the for the better and how difficult it is to, for us to do so considering the environment that we're in considering the choices that we have available to us and so yeah i, I had to go through that process and i suppose i had to have, have some difficult conversations with people to recognize that knowledge isn't everything <laughs> do you know what mm-hmm. i mean yeah the the ability to implement what you deem to be important is, is, is important. Uh, you know, your ability to be able to understand and be compassionate and have empathy for the challenges that we, that we all face, the difficulties that we face, the fact that I, I realize now that you can't control everything, you know, that we have to, you know, suffering is a part of the human existence. Um, so, you know, yeah, so I, I suppose that's a very good question. And the answer would be, yes, I had to go through that in order to be a, a, a better human being. In order to better communicate this message to people who really need, really need help. And so I feel I'm far more helpful and useful to my clients and to my audience when I'm speaking to them publicly now than I would have been before. Uh, because we all have a choice and we all have to appreciate that um, only we know ourselves what it's going to take for us to embark on. On lifestyle change and a positive lifestyle change do you know what I mean I can't tell you this is what you need to do and when I can just give you tell you about my experience what I believe is beneficial and hopefully plant a seed that will bear fruit at some point in the future for you if that's what you decide is important is important to you Nice, I, I really respect that
0: answer, Daryl. Thank you, thank you for sharing it, mate. And I mean, if knowledge was everything, we'll all be uh, billionaires with six-pack abs. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's not, um, mate. How did you arrive? How did you arrive at play?
1: Yeah, so so Prima play, and, and play was really about me wanting to find a solution to my you know lack of motivation. So I, I had a remarkable experience with physical activity. I, you know, within a very short space of time, I realized that I could improve my physical literacy, that there was a potential in me that I had no idea existed because I was a geek. I wore glasses. I was the kind of person who, you, if you sneezed next to me, I would fall over, you know. <laughs> so I was very clumsy. So, So I went from this individual who would struggle to, to carry some shopping bags to somebody who could, you know, fireman carry someone who could deadlift, you know, two and a half times my body weight. I, I was getting, I was getting really, really strong, really, really capable. Um, and I was happy to demonstrate my, that transformation practically like, Hey, look what I can do now. Look what I can look who I can beat in the gym now. I can beat my peers at whatever it is, but I wasn't enjoying it. I was only enjoying the end result. And there's a point in time where you're not going to be making those remarkable gains as you would do when you're starting out. So <clears throat> what's going to motivate you then when you're making kind of fractional gains, when you can only add, you know, a couple of hundred grams <laughs> onto your deadlift, your one rep max, you know, what's going to, what's going to sustain that practice? Uh, um, and if it's only competition driving you, then what happens when, when the person next to you is always beating you? you know when you're not always a winner when you're not always a champion so again i was fortunate to go through that go through that experience of recognizing that wasn't going to motivate me until the end of my days you know i'm not going to be able to maintain my strength of my 30s and 40s when i'm 80 and 90 it's not it's not going to happen so if i'm just chasing the numbers if i'm just chasing competition if i'm just chasing the end result I'm not going to be fulfilled. So I went back in my history and in my play history, I would say, my physical activity history. And I remembered the last time I just had enjoyment of the process, being physically active. And that was when I was a youngster playing. When I wasn't focusing on how sore my muscles were the next day. You know, I didn't go around to my friend's house and say, hey, we've we've been playing for the last month in the summer, but... Should we call it? Give it a miss today because we've got muscle soreness. <laughs> no, you know, it'd be like, no, you you go out and play. There'd be no. I mean, I have. I don't recall ever having muscle soreness when I was a kid. Maybe that's nostalgia, but I craved going out to play every single day. And if you played a game and it wasn't fun, you didn't continue to play it because it was just something you had to do. You'd play something else, you know. And you wouldn't just do one thing. You do a wide variety of things. One day you'd be on your bikes next day you'd be climbing trees you know you'd be going into a neighbor's back garden when it was when it was apple harvesting time you know somebody climbed a tree you shake the tree Few a of you would catch the apples one person would be looking out to make sure that <laughs> the neighbor the neighbor wasn't around you know you'd look out for guard dogs i mean you know you, you there's some mischief of course but it, the, the 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 biggest element of that experience was play and fun um And I I look back at those days and think, what a wonderful time that was, and what a shame it is that many children today will never have those experiences because of, you know, helicopter parenting, and we don't want our kids to be free range as they were when I was when I was young. And and I recognise that I wanted to reclaim that enjoyment of movement that I had as a kid, and and have that as an adult. You know, I wanted to take this mature individual. but still who wanted things like performance and fitness and strength and speed and all those qualities that I wouldn't appreciate as a youngster, I wanted those, but I wanted to still remain childlike, not childish you know I wanted to be fascinated with movement, I wanted to be able to explore my environment I wanted to see my my gym as the world around me rather than four walls with air conditioning you know I wanted to see what I was capable of and I wanted to be Happy uh, about what I wasn't capable of doing. You know, I I just wanted to be comfortable with me And once I once I experienced that I never looked back I recognized that I could do this when I was 80 90 plus You know, I recognized that uh, I could Have instant gratification for movement. I could have instant results Because my results are purely about the experience What am I going to experience? within the next few seconds by doing this not thinking what am i going to gain after x weeks months or years of doing this and so once that that sort of mind shift my mindset mindset changed and that shift occurred that's when primal play was born and it was a case of taking these natural instinctive movement patterns that we should all be engaging in covering a wide variety of intensities and dimensions and modals of modes of movement, and wrapping that around play theory and making all of that really enjoyable. So I can achieve, I believe, you know, optimal strength, stamina, endurance, balance, coordination, agility—all those components of fitness that we're aware of. But I can enjoy the process, and I can also enjoy the end result. So there's a very long-winded way, <laughs> a hopefully eloquent way of of. Let you know why play is so important, so important to me, and why I, I advocate play as not only a way to enjoy physical activity, but also to get more out of life. Also, to to stay on this playful path means you know you're lowering stress, you're having better interaction, interaction socially, um, and you have a fresher and dynamic approach. A more innovative and creative approach to whatever you do. So I'm in a much better place now, you know, mentally, physically, psychologically, than I have been for for decades.
0: Mm, very cool. And I I have definitely been playing a lot more since I since I met you and and uh, did one of your workshops down in Queenstown as well. Um, which is uh, was a lot of hard work, um, and just for the listeners as well, <laughs> Daryl bit me multiple times at a tug of war as well. <laughs> I have to have a rematch with you one day, mate. I reckon I, I reckon my technique's
1: improving with it. Um, <laughs> but Darryl, well, so I do I do have an unfair advantage because I, I wear glasses. You see, so I didn't I didn't tell you that was a secret tip. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'll
0: take my contacts out and put my glasses on next time I battle yeah, you. Mate- Makes all the difference. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mate. Um, now, I mean, this This is quite a, like, from a mental concept point of view, this is quite challenging, I think, for a lot of people to wrap, your, wrap their head around. I mean, we talked a little bit about marketing and about social media earlier on when it kind of came to nutrition, but also when it comes to fitness as well. There are, uh, like, there's so much stuff out there about, yeah, everyone – Kind of bronzed six pack abs, saying, "Uh, this was my kettlebell workout that I that I did today. Um, I did this this many sets and this many repetitions of this weight. Um, this was my this was my interval. And we, we almost get sold that hey, we that's what we need to do to kind of ensure optimal fitness, and that we can't go and do something that is a little bit more functional and a little bit more." Um, kind of engaging to us mentally, rather than sitting into in a gym listening to listening to our headphones. How do you how do you help people kind of wrap their head around changing that concept? Because it's it's probably quite an uncom- uncomfortable sort of mindset shift to go through.
1: Yeah, so I mean, I suppose just like most of the things that I as we discussed earlier, I I probably initially I would have said to you, yeah, everyone should play more. And that's the best way. That's the only way, you know, that's the only way we can really achieve, you know, physical Nirvana (laughs) is by, is by doing so. But I tell you what, if, if a gym environment works for you, if, if you're happy being in an enclosed space with your headphones in using gym equipment, and and that's your way of achieving your movement minutes for the day and you're healthy doing so, then great because I want to encourage people to move more. So I don't want to be telling people don't do this, don't do that. However, the majority of people don't go to gyms, don't like gyms, feel intimidated by gyms, feel intimidated by the fitness culture. And, you know, I feel intimidated by the fitness culture. When I, when I look at my Instagram feed, and I fi- and I, if I do hashtag fitness, you know you're seeing perfectly sculpted bodies, you know where they probably spent hours making sure they're getting the right angle and makeup, maybe photoshopped, you know. Usually, very young individuals probably had no setback, physical setbacks, you know. F- probably f- relatively few world experiences can spend and several hours in the gym every single day. You know, th- those are the individuals that are, are telling you what fitness is about. Um, and, you know, if you watch some of these individuals, you know, you will still see them saying, oh, sorry, guys, I haven't been in the gym for a while recovering from injury. Sorry, guys, I've been sick recovering from such and such, you know. And you kind of go, hmm, that's interesting. These individuals who appear to be the pinnacle of good health, bodies like a Adonis and adoniss Adonis, I don't know what, female equivalent is, you know, <laughs> are still still aren't necessarily that healthy. It's still, um, no matter what they achieve physically, it still isn't enough. No matter how perfect their bodies appear to be, they're still being, they still have a a, a desire to improve on, in quotation marks, perfection. So, so that in itself is in a health, healthy state. So I would just say for, for people who are intimidated, for people who feel as if that is the message, that message doesn't appeal to them, that there is an alternative way. And the, what that alternative way is, is finding out what you really enjoy first. Secondly, making sure what you enjoy will still meet your physical and, and healthful requirements. So in other words, if my enjoyment was me going out to my local park and rolling down the hill, and I was doing that for 150 minutes a week, every single week, it's great I'm having fun, but it's unlikely to improve you know, my balance, it's, like, it's unlikely to improve my strength, it's probably just gonna improve my ability to roll down the hill. So there's far more to my physical um, you know, capability then my ability just to roll down a hill, well, it's functional, so I find right? something. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it's functional. <laughs> yeah, if you need to roll down a hill, I suppose it's very functional. We all need to, we all need to be able to to experience that at some point in our lives for sure. But, but on a, you know on a serious note, we have to engage in a lot of different physical activities, and we've got to make sure that we have some fun and enjoyment doing so. And if that's missing from your fitness regimen, if all it is to you is punishment, if all it is it is, is no pain, no gain then you do want to seek out some pleasure. You do want to seek out some fun. And play, for me, in my mind, is one of the best vehicles in order to achieve that. And it doesn't mean it has to undermine what your goals and objectives are. So trust me, if play was given me a a sub, you know, a secondary experience, a suboptimal experience for me to maintain my my health and well-being and my physical capability – I would no longer play. I would just work hard. But I realized that I can, by playing, I can work hard. By playing, I can actually work even harder because I remove some of the barriers and limitations that I that I set myself. You know, I can only do this in a particular location. That's a barrier to me because it limits the amount of time that, the amount of time that I have available to do it. You know, I've got to be wearing the right gear. That's a limitation to me because ultimately, if I need to do something it's not going to be about what I'm wearing that's going to enable me to do it do you know what I mean do you know what I mean it's about me saying I need set period of warm-up and cool-down time what happens if I need to sprint because somebody's you know I'm being chased or I've got to sprint for the bus and if I don't get that bus I'm going to be late for work do I spend five minutes stretching beforehand or do I feel you know that I have the ability to sprint from a cold start you know so there needs to be some preparedness for life and that's what the function is about it's ultimately saying whatever I need to do physically whether it's the mundane and routine or the extraordinary I want to have a much better chance of being able to perform all of those with my movement practice and so Prima play which is obviously I'm the founder of and what I what I would mandate for my own movement practice is something that I believe enables that um, it, it enables humans to be have a better relationship with movement and have a better love affair with movements rather than a kind of a short term fits and starts again, chicken flight avoid the chicken flight and become more like a, you know, an albatross <laughs> you know, kind of gliding through the air and just feeling great about what you can do with movement. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I would encourage everyone to go and uh, check out primal play. It is, it's brilliant. Um, Actually, Daryl, on that note, where can, where can people find you on the internet? How can they, they learn more about you?
1: Yeah, the best place is going to primalplay.com where I, I talk, you know, movement and physical exercise, incorporating research as well. So I, I think it's important to have to satisfy the intellect and to, to make, make sure that you can have some validation based on a good evidence base. So that's that's a very important part of my of my blog. I talk about play theory, I talk about the philosophy of prom play as well as having kind of good, interesting demos on the site. I also have a range of online courses. So for those who don't have the option to train with me or, or to join one of my group sessions, you do have the option to train train online, or that information is available on the on the website. And you can always contact me on social media. I'm known as the Fitness Explorer. So at Fitness Explorer on Twitter or Instagram, or just search for Daryl Edwards, D-A-R-R-Y-L Edwards, the Fitness Explorer on Google. And you'll, you'll come across me (laughs) very, uh, without too much of a, too much of a a problem. And, um, yeah. And I suppose uh, another way to, to interact with me is by reading one of my books. I do have a new book out in the next, you know, probably around, around now, depending on when this podcast is released. Called animal moves, uh, which uh, animal moves are one of the one of the area that, areas that I focus on within primer play. Whereby moving like an animal, uh, focusing on movement patterns that animals engage in, you can become a better a better human in terms of your capability. So rather than being a specialist of movement, you can become more of a general generalist, which is more functional and more practical. So that's available at uh, any time now or is already available depending on on when this is broadcast
0: awesome mate. no I'll put links to that all in the, in the <coughs> notes for the show um Daryl I've got a I've got a couple quick questions that I ask everyone towards the end of the end of our chat um, the first is what was the last uncomfortable thing that you did and how did you get through it <laughs>
1: wow um Yeah, so I suppose the last uncomfortable thing I did was I gave a presentation, um, which in itself isn't uncomfortable because I've done, I've done quite a few of those now. I'm pretty well-versed as a public speaker. But, but I knew that the majority of the audience weren't going to be receptive of my message. And uh, there was a, an extensive Q&A at the end uh, it was quite an in-depth QA at in the end. And I knew I was going to be pummeled by the audience. And that was it, that was, it was very uncomfortable thinking about how I was going to handle that. And and my way around it was to ensure that I could I would treat my audience with respect, that I would try to refrain from, you know, my dad is bigger than your dad, kind of arguments. You know, my research is better than yours. You know. Um, and I, I try to appeal to, to kind of common sense and again, being childlike. So I, I, I feel now most of my progress and understanding comes from trying to be like a five-year-old, asking those questions that you ask when your parents say, this is the way the world is. Well, why dad? Why mom? You know, it doesn't make sense. What, you know, why is that the case? You said this, but why that? And so I, I used that approach, actually, in having discussions with the audience when they would pose questions, throw questions at me or challenge me. And I would say, OK, if you believe that's the case, then why X and Y? And and it wasn't a case of of demonstrating that I knew more than they did, but it was a case of saying to them, whatever you believe, always question, never stand still in your, in your, in your belief, because if you do and you stagnate, if you do, you become, you, you just reinforce your confirmation bias and cognitive dissonance and you become le- become less aware of what's around you. So, so that was a, that was the best way that I could tackle that situation and fortunately it worked out really, really well and I, and I had a much better reception from my audience than if I'd have just been remained dogmatic. So very uncomfortable to contemplate, very uncomfortable to prepare for, but fortunately uh, very well handled mm. because I, I put some thought into how I could handle that situation and how I could handle it with, uh, successfully.
0: Mm. It's, it's a great approach to it actually. Um, Daryl, what's the next uncomfortable thing that you're going to do and why is that uncomfortable for you?
1: Uh, well, I suppose the release of any any new project. So I've got a new book, got a new book coming out, and um, I'm I'm a bit of a perfectionist, so I, it, I find it really difficult to to, to let go. <laughs> you know, I want to keep on tweaking and and fine tuning and and hopefully making making something perfect. And I realise that as an entrepreneur, that's the worst state uh, to be in, is to it's to not deliver something because you're waiting for the perfect time. So so kind of minimal, minimal viable product is, is how they term it in startup speak, whereby, you know, you deliver something that is, is fit for purpose, that delivers on the objectives that you set out for, that will satisfy, you know, the end user's requirement for whatever, you know, for whatever, whatever they need. And, and, and that's, always, that's always very, very challenging for me to, <laughs> to overcome that initial feeling of, no, 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 it just isn't good enough. You know What are people going to be thinking about this? You know, when do I feel, am I going to feel comfortable about my knowledge and ability to deliver on my promises in terms of this project? So that's a constant battle. That's going to take some time for me to to address. Uh, but it's getting, it's getting a little bit easier. It's time I release a new course or Product or, or book, so um,
0: yeah. <laughs> nice. I'm, I'm looking forward looking to forward reading that as
1: well. Thank you.
0: Yeah, um, Daryl, do you, I mean we've touched on it already, but do you have any other strategies that you use to approach uncomfortable situations?
1: Um, I suppose you've got to find out why you you feel uncomfortable first. So you know, I used to be I used to be the just face up to it type of guy, you know, just face your fears head on. And it's such a naive statement to make. It only works when you don't really, you, you just aren't aware of what that fear, what that fear really feels like. So for example, I, I didn't learn to swim until I was 40 and it was always difficult. I mean, I always felt embarrassed about that fact. You know, I'd go, I'd go away on holiday. You know, my friends would be, you know, swimming or whatever. I'd, I'd initially make excuses. Then I decided, you know what, I'm going to be honest and upfront about it. And I'd be occasionally mocked. You know what, you can't swim. You're a grown adult. You can't swim. What the hell, you know? Uh, and it wasn't until I, I faced up to the fact that hold on a second, I was five, six years old, and I had a traumatic experience where I nearly drowned. And so from that point on, I had a phobia of water, and. I have to, I have to face up to that. It isn't as simple as just why don't you just get in the pool and start learn to swim. You know, it wasn't as simple as just facing my my fears. I had to understand why I had that fear. I had to, I had to seek out information and the right type of individual who could help me deal with that. And then I was able to swim at forty years old, years old because I set that as a one of, on my bucket list for, for for forty. I was like, by the time I'm forty. Whatever it takes, I need to learn to swim. But again, it, it, it wasn't an easy process. And I would say whatever people have to face, whatever fears they have to face, you've got to do some analysis. You've got to find out why. You've got to find out what's likely to have to occur for you to overcome that. Um, and one of the things that I didn't share with you actually uh, in this podcast was, I, I, was a, I was a survivor of the 2005 London terror attacks. Uh, the London bombings, I was on the adjacent carriage to the explosion at Edway road troop station. Uh, and, and, and that was a, that was a life changing moment. I had to face a lot of fears in relation to that. I couldn't go on the, on the underground, you know, on the subway for about nine months. I, I was scared to go on planes for somebody who was traveling all the time to, who then decide I, I could no longer travel. You know, um, I had to do a lot of work, to to overturn a lot of those those thought processes that that i had and i and i still battle with that even now so there are some things as i say that you may never ever overcome there are some challenges that you may constantly deal with and you just have to find a way of managing that if you can't achieve success in in relation to it
0: Mm. yeah no thank you thank you for that that's um it's great advice and, and really good for for people to kind of start asking themselves questions around why it is that they're, they're uncomfortable. Daryl, I have one final question for you, but I just want to say thank you so much for, for taking the time to sit down and have a chat with me today. I really, really enjoyed uh, reconnecting with you but I also want to say thank you so much as well for helping make the world a healthier, more curious, more fun place through a whole lot of inspiration and research-backed education, um, but not being so dogmatic in it like a a whole lot of other people are and, and really kind of respecting... Um, people's individuality. I, I really appreciate all the, all the stuff that you're doing,
1: mate. It's awesome. Oh, no, you're welcome. Thanks very much. It's a, it's a pleasure to be given this opportunity and uh, I, I, yeah, thanks, thanks so much, Chris, for that. Daryl, final
0: question for you is, do you have a challenge to leave me and the listeners with this week?
1: The challenge is to avoid convenience. So you can define what that whatever it is that you are likely to avoid. So for example, if it's, you know, if you have an aversion to take the stairs because you'd rather take the lift, make the decision to take the stairs. If you decide that you want to do your workout first thing in the morning, but whenever you wake up, you feel as if it's the last thing you want to do, make it easier for yourself to do so. You know, maybe put your training shoes at the, at the, at the end of the bed and you training gear at the end of the bed and you make sure that before you, Turn your switch the kettle on to make you a cup of tea or coffee. That you you do your workout to start of the day, then you're more likely to do something rather than nothing. You know, if it's a project you've been procrastinating over, um, because it's just difficult to to make that initial start. Just get on, just get onto it. So yeah, so that's me. It's a fairly generic challenge, but I would say your primary focus should be to avoid convenience uh, this week.
0: I like that it's applicable through a range of situations, Daryl Edwards. thank you so much for getting
1: uncomfortable with me today no you you're you're so welcome it's been a real pleasure chris and uh and thanks again for for your, for your time.
0: There you have it guys. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Daryl today. Make sure you go and check him out. This dude is uh is truly inspirational uh ridiculously engaging as well. And just incredibly knowledgeable as well with a lot of evidence-based uh, information as well. So all of the stuff he's talking about is really, really well researched. Um, also, make sure to head over, grab a copy of his book, uh, Animal Moves. You'll definitely end up a happier, healthier person for, for picking that up and uh, getting into to some of that content and applying it to your life. Also make sure you head over to getoutofmycomfortzone.com to download those five free strategies to help you guys get out of your comfort zones. If you enjoyed what you hear, heard today, make sure to share this episode out with some of your mates that you think might uh, might find it valuable. And also hit subscribe on your favorite podcast app so that you get these episodes coming back into your ears every Tuesday for these interview episodes and on Friday as well for the little mini chats that I have thank you guys so much for getting uncomfortable with Daryl and I today can't wait to see you again on Friday